Well, good morning, Tri Village Church. It is good to be here this morning um, with our worshiping the Lord with our uh, familia in the faith. And uh, like uh, Melissa introduced me, my name is uh, Sergio. Sergio, and I'm uh, one of the pastors in, in our extended church family. And uh, I have the blessing to bring to you the Word of God. As you, if you're part of our, our church, and if you're part of our family church, you've been with us in this journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And we've been going from Matthew chapter 1, seeing the whole story of Jesus and how he came to this earth with one purpose, to bring the kingdom of God with him, to teach us a new way of living. And as Melissa also was telling us, we are starting our third section in our journals. And this section it starts in chapter 8. We just finished the Sermon of the Mount last week. If you were here last week, uh, we just finished the words of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount. And so as we start this uh, chapter, we're going to see the first half of chapter 8. And it's a, and it's a very... Um, it's a very exciting uh, passage as we were reading, if you um, were following along. Let me, let me go to verse 1 right away. Matthew 8, 1 says this, when he came down from the mountain. Can you say with me, came down from the mountain. So Jesus at the mountain has been verbally proclaiming the values of the kingdom of God. He's sharing this message with his words. Now it's time that the message becomes action. And this is true for all of us believers. Uh, we, we are, and I'm including myself, we are very good in listening messages, sharing messages, getting more knowledge. But sometimes when he gets into bringing it into action is when we sometimes get a little bit of trouble. I don't know if you're like me, but uh, I love a good sermon. Uh, but I don't know how much I apply that sermon in my life. That's the question. That's the difficult part. It's, when I'm, uh, it's the time to live that out. So Jesus, what we're going to see here, now Jesus is going to start uh, a series of miracles. He's going to perform a series of miracles. And these miracles are the tangible values of the kingdom of God. So is the sermon that he preached, now it's going to become part of the li a lifestyle. And he's going to bring these, um, these signs from, from God to the people around him. So we're going to see uh, the, first half, the first half of this chapter, we're going to see three miracles of healing, of divine healing. Three very different people. Three very different settings that he's encountering. But in the midst of this distinctiveness of these three people, we're going to see a, a, he's going to face a, a, a leper, and then a centurion, a Roman soldier, and then, and then a, a woman, uh, the, uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And each one of them, uh, Jesus is going to come, he's going to heal them. And with each one of these healings, we're going to see the kingdom of God in action. So... Uh, before we, we go into this, one of these uh, three stories, we need to see what is healing. 
What is divine healing? What do we mean when we talk about God is healing people? And as I was studying this, I wrote this. Divine healing is the supernatural intervention of God upon humankind that brings physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual wellness and renewal from whatever kind of affliction, sickness, or disease. Let me read it again. Divine healing, in my understanding, is the supernatural intervention of God upon humankind that brings physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual wellness and renewal from whatever kind of affliction, sickness, or disease. Every time that we talk about divine healing, every time that we talk about healing, we're talking about miracles. Now, we all love to see miracles. Our society is a society that loves to see miracles. Humankind it has been a, a, a group of people that we love to see miracles. There were people that I were asking Jesus, show us more signs, show us more signs. And miracles are a great and a beautiful way to see the kingdom of God among us. But our heart has the tendency of misinterpreting the miracles. What do I mean by that? Um, every miracle that Jesus performs has a divine purpose. See, nothing that Jesus does is accidental. Nothing that Jesus does is just by chance. He is always very intentional on communicating the heart of God to the people. So every miracle that Jesus is performing has a purpose. Pastor Tim Keller, in, in his book, The Reason for God, he, he writes this about miracles. We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also, listen to this, wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. And the best way that I can picture this is when you go on a Saturday afternoon to Costco. Because on Saturday afternoon, there's a lot of stands all around Costco. And Friday and every day, but pretty much the weekend is more stands. And in those stands, you have something that everybody loves. The free samples. I don't know if you love the free. I love the free samples. Every, I may not like that particular food, but just because it's a free sample, I'm going to go and I'm going to try it. Free samples are good. Well, one, because they're free. And two, because they, they give you this, their foretaste. Uh, and, and, and everybody loves it. I love them. Now, think about it. These free samples at Costco or whatever other store, they're not meant to be an experience on itself. These free samples are meant to be the foretaste of something that you're supposed to bring to you. So the, the point of if I'm trying a strawberry jelly that I've never tried before, and they have it with nice pieces of toast, and now you put the 
strawberry jelly there, and if you didn't have breakfast, now you're getting hungry. Uh, and you try that strawberry jelly. The point is not only to say, wow, this is so good. The point of what the store wants is that I will say, I want more of this jelly. I'm going to buy one box. No. Four boxes. No. The whole 12 boxes of strawberry jelly and bring it home. The point of a free sample is to give you a foretaste of what you can have. And every miracle that Jesus performs is a foretaste of heaven. It's a foretaste of the kingdom of God. It's a foretaste of glory. It's not only, yes, it is, it is a blessing for the person that is receiving it in that moment. But that's not the end. Miracles, the miracles of Jesus never exist in a vacuum. They always are part of a journey. Now, religious people, the people that are just detached from the heart of Jesus, they just want the miracle. Just give me the miracle, that's it. But if you pay attention, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to receive the miracle. You're going to enjoy it. And then you're going to say, I want more of this. And that's the invitation of Jesus to say, come. There is more of that in the kingdom. There's more glory. There's more mercy. There's more healing. There's more restoration in the kingdom. Just come. Pastor John Piper says this about signs and wonders and miracles. He says, he writes this. Signs and wonders are not the saving word of grace. They are God's secondary testimony to the word of grace. He's, what he means is that the, the, the proclamation of the gospel, yes, the sign and miracles uh, are companions to the proclamation of the gospel, but they're not the primary proclamation. The gospel is a message that Jesus has come to bring with his life, death, and resurrection. He says this, signs and wonders do not save. They are not the power of God for salvation. They do not transform the heart. What changes the heart and saves the soul is the glory of Christ seen in the message of, of, message of the gospel. Now, John Piper keeps writing as he says this. Even if signs and wonders can save the soul, they can, however, if God pleases, shatter the shell of disinterest. They can shatter the shell of cynicism. They can shatter the shell of false religion. Like every other good witness to the word of grace, they can help the falling heart to fix its gaze on the gospel where the glory of the Lord shines. And what Pastor Piper is saying is that a miracle is not going to save your soul, but a miracle can point you to the one that can save your soul. So when we look at miracles in this way, when we look at healing and divine healing in this way, and we realize that every miracle is a retelling, is a mini story of the gospel. Think about it. When you, when, you, when you talk about healing, you're talking about something that is damaged. It could be your physical health, something in your, in your, in your physical body is not functioning well. It's, maybe it's dying it's malfunctioning. And then there's this 
this asking or waiting. And then there's the divine power of God intervening. And then there's a resurrection of health or wellness. Something was not there, and now it is there. So if you think about it, it's the story of the gospel in every miracle. Because that restoration, that resurrection of health is pointing to hope. Oh, I am better now. I was not well. I am well. Um, there's a pastor uh, who wrote several commentaries. His name is Warren Wiersbe. And, and Pastor Wiersbe used to call miracles mini sermons in action. So what I want to do as we look at these three miracles is to see them as mini sermons. Each one of them is telling us something about who Jesus is and about the character of God and about ourselves. So I, wanna, I want us to see these next three miracles under these three points. Number one, Jesus is merciful to heal. Number two, Jesus is powerful to heal. And number three, Jesus is gracious to heal. Let's start with number one. Jesus is merciful to heal. Look at our verse two. It's gonna, we're going to see the first miracle in the verse two. It's telling us that there was a leper. Behold, a leper came to him, came to Jesus, and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Pay attention to this. First thing that we can see here is that this man who is uh, the affliction that he has is, is leprosy. Is this leper man, and he is someone that has been marked with a very shameful disease in the midst of the community. And this leper comes and humbly approaches Jesus, and he calls him Lord. Right away, when this man is approaching Jesus as Lord, he is acknowledging that Jesus has an authority, that he, Jesus is, has divine power. And that he's coming and he's asking. And the, and, and, the, and the petition that this leper brings is very interesting. Because the petition is this, Lord, if you will, if you, if you want, you can make me clean. Uh, and in this petition, if you think about it, when he calls him Lord, he's acknowledging that he has the power. Now, now in the petition, if you will, you can make me clean, he's not... He's not addressing his power, but he's saying, I know you're powerful, you're Lord, but are you merciful? Will you, will you heal? Will you make me clean? Verse 3 says this, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Can we see verse 3, please? Yes, thank you. And Jesus stretched out his hand. This is very, very important. And then when he touched him, he said, I will be clean. So yes, I want to. I will. I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now pay attention that Jesus, Jesus has the power, we know this, to just command. The sickness to go away, and the, and the sickness goes away. 
But in this case, Jesus is doing something that no one in the community was supposed to do. And he's touched a person with leprosy. You're not supposed to touch a leper. Because those people are impure. According to the beliefs and what God has told the people of God in those times. But Jesus is powerful enough to say you are clean. But he is merciful enough to touch him and say, I will. I want this for you. Now, before we proceed with this and before, before we go deeper into this story, I, wanna, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna point you to something that I call the disease behind the disease. Because if you just read this miracle, you can see, well, Jesus is, power, is, is powerful, he's merciful, this man with leprosy, he's healing him, end of story. But wait, let's pay attention to what's actually happening. If this is, a, if this is like a mini sermon, and this is like a little retelling of the story of the gospel, if, and if each miracle is telling me something, what is this miracle telling me? So let's look at the disease behind the disease. Leprosy in those days in the Near East and in the Bible times, it was often seen as a sign of punishment, judgment upon the people because the people have offended God. And we have several instances in the Bible where people, especially when people were arrogant and defiant against God. There's an occasion in Numbers chapter 12, we don't know. We don't have the time to see the story, but you can follow it later. You can read it later. In Numbers chapter 12, we have Moses as the leader of the people of Israel. And we have his siblings, Aaron and, and Miriam. And then Moses gets married. And they don't like the woman that he chose to be his wife. And they start complaining and gossiping. And Miriam says, who are you that put you as a leader before us? Like we also have a say. And the Bible says that when she was showing this arrogance and this defiance against what God has, uh, the, the one God placed as the leader of, of the people, suddenly she became white as snow because of the leprosy. We have another occasion in 2 Chronicles 26 when this king Uzziah, uh, after a, a, a good... Uh, victory that he experienced, he's so excited that he goes to the temple to offer incense to God as a, as a sign of gratitude, but he's all drunk in his own uh, foolishness that he forgets that only the priest can do what he wanted to do. And the priest is actually stopping him and saying, hey, wait, 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 you're not supposed to do this. Be, we will do it with you. Let us do it. And he says, no. And he takes the place of the priest and he defines everything and everyone, and he goes, and when he wants to do this act of worshiping God with incense, suddenly he receives this leper. Uh, this, uh, he becomes, uh, this, receives this leprosy in, in his forehead. So everyone could see uh, that his skin changed really quickly. So many have thought that leprosy uh, 
It's only a disease of the skin, but it is very classified, as we were reading, uh, as I was studying about this, as a disease of the nervous system. And this is what's happening. The, the leprosy that we see in, in, in the Bible in biblical times is not, many are not in agreement that is the modern leprosy that we see today. Modern leprosy today, it's, it's an attack on the nervous system. So people start losing uh, their sensitivity in the skin. And, and I was reading, so if, if people that suffer from leprosy today, uh, they can grab a boiling hot um, pot and not feel anything. Because the nervous system has been so damaged that you don't feel anything at all. Now, some uh, scholars think that the biblical leprosy, it has to do more with this um, decoloration of the skin and this uh, degradation of the skin, that somehow the skin became so fragile and it was so visible to everyone. And, and the Bible talks a lot about leprosy. The whole chapter of Leviticus 13 and Leviticus 14 is about what people were supposed to do when they have leprosy. And they must be, come to the priest and they will tell you, um, this is this kind of leprosy. Um, you, you are marked, basically. In fact, I, I have these verses for, for you here in, in, from Leviticus 13. And, and it says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. So if you had leprosy back in those days, you cannot be with people. You have to shout out to everyone, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. And his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So imagine, if you were afflicted by this disease, you can no longer be part of a community you have to leave your family. And worse than that, if you are approaching a group of people, you have to scream and shout, unclean person coming through. So that everyone will notice that you were coming and they will move away. Imagine the stigma. Imagine the shame. Imagine the longing for community and for family and the longing to belong. And it's, you can start to see why this sickness is like a metaphor of sin in the heart of man. Because sin, actually, whatever you see leprosy as, how is it that they used to see it or how is it that we see it before, sin is evident in your outside. It's evident on your actions. And it's causing you shame before others. But sin also robs the sensibility of not your skin, but your heart. And suddenly you don't feel. And you can, and you can harm yourself as you continue in your path of sinning. And that's why God in his wisdom uses this sickness as, a, as an image, as a metaphor of, of sin. Now, when we go back to the story of Jesus 
and the leper, if we understand the disease behind the disease, then we can see the healing behind the healing. Because Jesus brought healing to the skin of this man when he says, I will be clean. But Jesus is doing more than that. When he purposely is touching him, what he's saying is he's bringing healing to his soul. The soul that has been rejected for so long. And Jesus is saying, you're welcome now. Come. And he's touching him. He's touching the untouchable. He's loving the unlovable. He's embracing the unbraceable. That's the merciful heart of Jesus. And look what verse 4 says. Jesus says to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Look at this. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. You know what Jesus is doing here? He is restoring this man into the community. He's telling him, go back, show yourself to the priest so that they can say, you are, you are clean now. And be part of the community. Keep worshiping God in the midst of the community. Jesus is making this unclean man. Now he's transforming him into a clean man. Jesus is taking a leper and now he's transforming him into a worshiper. Jesus is taking a rejected one and he's transforming him into a welcome one. Welcome into the family of one, of God. And in the same way that Jesus extends his hands to heal the life of this man. This miracle reminds us that Jesus extends his life for us. To heal you, to heal me. The question will be, have I been made clean? By Jesus' cleansing touch. Have I experienced the touch of Jesus in my soul in such a way that he has made me clean? That's miracle number one. Merciful of Jesus. Let's go to miracle number two. Jesus is powerful to heal. So verse 5, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion, we have another man. And it's very interesting that in the eyes of the Jews, these two men and also the woman, they're going to be the, the ones on the margins. For sure, they didn't want the lepers. The Jews, they don't like the centurions because they're part of the Roman Empire. So he says, we have a centurion came forward to him, appealing, appealing, appealing sorry, to him. And he says this, Lord... This man also uses Lord. So he's acknowledging that Jesus has power and authority. Lord, my servant is lying, paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to Jesus, uh, and Jesus says to him, uh, I will come and, and I will heal him. Now let's, let's, let's pause for a minute. Let's think about this centurion, who he is. The centurion was an officer of the Roman Empire. And, and, and the Jews were under the occupancy of the Roman Empire. So for once, the Jews, they don't like the Roman 
They don't like the empire because they are under their heavy hand. Uh, and these men, uh, centurions, were usually in charge of 100 soldiers. So this man has in charge 100 of the Roman soldiers with their, their uh, distinctive group of soldiers, uh, famous or infamous on those years. And, and we can see this contrast between this man and Jesus. He is a, a soldier. Jesus is, is a prophet. He's a man of God. Uh, this is a man of war. Jesus is a man of peace. Uh, now, this centurion, he's a Gentile. And Jesus is a Jew. And right there, we already have some differences. Because Jews... Don't go visit Gentile. They will not go visit a Gentile household. And if you think about it, each one has a reason to under, underestimate the other. Because if, if you put yourself in the, in the shoes of Jesus as a Jew, he could say, oh, these centurions, these Roman soldiers, these Gentiles, and reject them. But if you put yourself in the shoes of the centurion, you can say, we are the ones in power, these Jews. They, they're, they're nothing to us. So that's why it's very, very important that he's approaching Jesus and calling him Lord. He's acknowledging he has lordship. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. But the centurion replied, Lord, again. When Jesus says, okay, let me go to your household. He's willing. He's willing to visit the household of the Gentile. And he says, no, no, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my room. He knows that he doesn't want to get Jesus in trouble. And he says, but only say the word. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority. With soldiers under me. And I say to one, go. And he goes. And the other one, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. And when he's saying this, he's a man uh, under authority. Uh, it's very important because he has authority. And if you are over 100 Roman soldiers, there's a sense of you that you're going to think that you are someone. I mean, people follow you. That's why he says, whatever I say, they do it for me. This man is actually humbling himself. And remember this. He's not going to ask that Jesus will heal him. He's asking on behalf of a servant that he has. And in, in, in some occasions, um, servants will become almost part of the family in those days. So for sure, this, Rom, this centurion loves this servant. He's asking for this Rom, uh, servant to be healed. He comes to Jesus. And this is something that is, strikes me from this story. That this is a man of power that suddenly realizes that there are areas in life when he is powerless. He can have all the power he wants as a soldier. He can, he can command a hundred men. But when he was about the help of someone that he loved, he is completely powerless. There's so many of us that we need to be reminded of that. Because life has allowed us to experience certain Degrees of 
authority or people knows us or we have a name already or a reputation and whatever area we move we have people following us or we have this sense of control and power in these areas but for all of us this is going to be a common experience it's going to be a part when you're going to realize that as powerful as you think you can be in certain area there are areas of life in your power And, and for this man, knowing that he has limits is actually becoming a blessing. Because in him knowing that he has these limits, that he's not all powerful, that he's actually powerless in this situation, is going to allow him to grow in his faith. He's going to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, Lord. Just say the word. Just say the word. Because I know how authority works. You see, we live in, in, in times where society tells us that you can do everything you want. We have a whole generation of young people that have belief, this idea, that there's no limits for you. You can do anything you want. Some of us maybe have taught our children that. And you know what we're doing? We are actually harming them. Because we are not teaching them that limits are good. We need to realize that we have limits. You know what happens when someone believes that is limitless and then suddenly discovers that it's not? Anxiety and depression. And that's why we have one of the greatest crises of anxiety and depression in all around our society, but especially in our young people. Because we have fed them this idea that you can be any, anything you want to be. And there's no limits for you. And this soldier is reminding us, this centurion, that is not true. That is not true. That is not true when you have a... a, a a father or a mother that they, that they can be as successful as they can be. But then suddenly one of the children is, is, is sick. And what do you do now? Of course, you, want, you, can, you, you try to find help anywhere. But there's, there's a part in you that, you, that it knows that it's beyond your, the reach of your power. And this man is coming to Jesus acknowledging that. And Jesus is, is going to bring healing that goes beyond the healing of the servant because he's going to give the man the opportunity to realize that there are moments in life when you cannot think that you are all powerful self-sufficient you need to realize that you depend on the higher power of God and you know, was the disease behind the disease in this story. And I think it's a very, very dangerous one. And it's a very, it's a disease that we, that, that, that goes unnoticed in many of us, but it's so real. That our heart has the tendency to reverse this story and put ourselves in the story, but in reversal. I'll explain you what I mean by that. 
this man is a man that is coming to the master, to the Lord Jesus, appealing that he will heal his servant. What we do today, what religion has taught us to do, is to come to God as a servant, to tell him what to do, to heal our master. And the things in our life that we think that we cannot live without him, and that actually control us. When you think about it, the, the transaction that happens in religion, any religion, separated from the gospel, is you have a deity, and that deity, you ask whatever you want from this deity, and this deity is supposed to help you with whatever you need help. But in the end, what the Bible calls idols, the idols, you end up serving them. You think that you cannot live with this. It could be beauty, it could be education, it could be reputation, it could be family. It could be good things. They don't have to be bad things. But when you put these things first in your life, and then you think that you cannot live without this, this becomes your master. And then you come to God and use him as a servant. To, in order, as a means to your ends. Instead of taking the miracle as a foretaste that is going to take us to him. We reverse the story. And that's so dangerous. Because we can still pray. And we can still sing. And we can still give our offerings. But in our hearts, the story is on reverse. And instead of coming closer to Jesus, we become more detached from Jesus. And what Jesus wants to bring is the understanding of that there's a healing behind the healing. You remember the story of the ten lepers? The, uh, Luke will tell us in his gospel that Jesus comes in another time and he encounters a group of ten lepers because they, they have to cling to one another. They exclude it from society. And there's these ten lepers and then they ask and say, Lord, have mercy on us. Heals us. And Jesus healed the ten people, the ten lepers. They go away. And then remember how many came to thank him and to give God glory? The Bible says only one, only one came. He comes back, he kneels and, and says, thank you, Lord. Uh, you gave me my life back. I want to serve you. Jesus asks, where are the nine? Where are the others? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this, because he was a Samaritan. The one with a thankful heart, it was another stranger. And he said, Jesus says to the, to the Samaritan, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus told that leper, you are healed not only on the outside, but now you are healed on the inside. Because what good it is for those nine that have experienced the external cleansing, the skin made whole and new, but the heart still is Full of leprosy, trying to use God and try to manipulate him in my own devices. This, this will take us to the last third, uh, third miracle, and we need to finish now. Jesus, gracious to heal. Verse 14, we see Jesus entering Peter's house. 
He saw his mother-in-law lying sick with fever. He touched her, touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve. And if every miracle is a mini-sermon, I believe this is a beautiful picture of the church. Think about it. This woman is not asking Jesus at all. And grace, the grace of Jesus, comes to you and me without us asking. It's undeserving. Jesus saw us. Jesus sees this woman. He comes towards her. He touches her. She is, she is burning in fever. He touches her hand, heals her, and then she rises up and starts serving him. And that's you and me. We were dying on our sins, the fever killing us, the fever of our own passions and desires killing us, Jesus saw you. And Jesus saw me and comes and touches us. And then we rise. And we don't go sit down. We start serving him. There's a mission to do. There's a good news to tell, to say, I found the one who healed me. I want to serve him. He's my Lord. He's my master. He's my Savior. Our last verse for today is verse 17. When, interestingly enough, Matthew is connecting what he's seeing in these three stories of healing to what the prophet Isaiah wrote. And Matthew says this. This was everything that Jesus was doing was to fulfill because they bring more people that are sick and they bring people that are under the oppression of the enemy and he starts healing them. And Matthew sees this and he says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. So Jesus died to heal the disease behind the disease. And he is here with us. He's able to heal us physically or emotionally, spiritually. I want to invite you to stand up and pray with me. Let's close our eyes while the brothers in the worship team come forward and then sing for us. But I want to pray with you right now. And I want to pray for you. And I want us to pray together and come to Jesus. And I want to invite you. You know where you are. You know what's the affliction that is, that is being um, op oppressing your life. Just come to Jesus. You may approach him as the leper and say, Lord Jesus, if you want, you can take this away from me. You may come as the, as the centurion and say, Lord, I have someone that is sick right now. And I want to pray on behalf of someone that is sick. Or you can just stand there and just look at Jesus and know that he sees you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what kind of healing you need. Because he is the healing behind the healing. The miracle is a foretaste of his glory. And the miracle is a foretaste of resurrection. So, Father God, we come before you and we bring our care. We bring our disease. We bring our afflictions. We come before you, Lord. Jesus, 
you, the one who went to the cross to suffer and to die for our sins. Oh, Jesus, the servant. Jesus, the suffering one. Jesus, the Son of God, have mercy on us and heal us, Lord. Make us new. Renew us, oh God. Renew us from the inside out. Heal our minds. Heal our hearts. Heal our souls. Heal our bodies. We look up to you, Jesus. And as we look up to you, we remember that you took our diseases. And then you bore our sickness and iniquities on your flesh, on the cross. Let's sing to the Lord. Let's sing this song to Him. And as you sing, you receive healing from the Son of God, the suffering servant, the Lord of all. Let's sing together.